Imagine with me. It has been 50 days exactly since Christ was resurrected and emerged from that tomb. They still talk about that day as if it just happened. One day he is back from the dead, and then he's gone again, lifted into the heavens before their eyes. They stared at that sky for a while, not wanting to bring their vision back to earth, and the reality that they are now on their own. But they did, and they remained in that upper room, waiting, as Jesus instructed. Now they sit in fear, frozen at the sight before them. Wine jugs have tumbled to the ground, the half-eaten dinner forgotten. No one moves. No one blinks. You see, the shutters were closed, but it sounds as though a tornado has entered the room. The thunderous sounds pound their ears, and what looks like fire swirls above their heads, a sight unlike any have ever seen. But no one is immune. Women and men alike have caught fire, but do not burn. The flames don't harm them. Their brilliant energy penetrates right through their bodies, their bones, and into their hearts. Their eyes reflect fear and wonder. As quickly as it started, it stops. I imagine that no one said a word for a few moments. Stunned, they sit there for this is what they have been waiting for. This is what Jesus had told them to anticipate. It's been 10 days since Jesus' ascension into heaven. 10 days since his disciples have returned to Jerusalem and waited for the God to act. They didn't know what to expect, but still there they waited. And so they go about their lives as they wait. James and John bring the fish as always. Bread has been baked. They gather together at the table for dinner, unbeknownst to them that their meal would soon be forgotten. As the wine is passed around for the second time, it's then that the Spirit makes her dramatic and violent entrance. For a minute, they think the world might be ending. When their mouths finally remember how to work, it's as if their tongues have been commandeered by something new and foreign, something powerful. Broken from their shock, their lips have sounds and words emerged that no Galilean should know, words that travelers bring from afar that they've never even heard before. The room erupts in chaos, but in joy, and the Spirit pushes them into the streets, for their house cannot contain the miracle that has occurred. You see, this gift of the Spirit is one that cannot be kept. It is a gift that empowers them to step into the world boldly, stripping them of their fear. And so they tumble out of their hidden room, no longer fearful of being arrested or killed, making such a ruckus, praising God in so many different languages that soon the streets become crowded with those demanding answers. How is this possible? How can these disciples know their native tongues suddenly? Aren't these just those hicks? 
from Galilee? And so some of them say, well, they must be drunk. There's no way. That's the only rational answer. For God is the Jews' God and only found in the temple. But Peter stands up. He says, we are far from drunk. We are full of God's life and energy. And we want all of you to know it too. And so the Spirit opens his mouth. That bumbling disciple who never quite got it when Jesus was with him, who in fact denied Jesus and fled, the ashes of his former self are forgotten as the flames of the Spirit ignite new life in Peter. And he forgets his shame, he forgets his guilt, and confidently he steps forward and proclaims, God is here. And it is for all people. Continuing from Acts 2, Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." It's one of the most exhilarating scenes in all of Scripture. Certainly, the Holy Spirit knew how to make an entrance that day. It's a day we call the birth of the church. And like any newborn, its emergence was anything but subtle. It was terrifying. As Pentecost shows us, the Spirit of God is not simply a warm breeze but it is blazing and moving, piercing the hearts of the disciples in such a way that they couldn't wait to share Christ's good news with everyone. No longer did their fears and sorrows, their shame and guilt, their past keep them stuck behind closed doors. A new beginning was at hand, and God's power was alive in them. It's the power of God's spirit that leads them. And it's the same spirit, the breath of God, the wind of God that continues today to lead us to break through our own limitations and fears. That same spirit that binds us to each other and to people that we would never even imagine. Without Pentecost, writes Danielle Schroyer, we'd just be people who tell Jesus' story. With Pentecost, we're people who live into Jesus' story. And so we come not just as observers of the resurrection story, but participants in it, invited to embrace the same spirit that the disciples experienced. One of my favorite preachers and authors, Barbara Brown Taylor, writes this. Did you know that the word conspire means to breathe together? Take a breath and blow it out. There you have just launched a conspiracy. 
You could hear the word spirit in there too, to conspire, to be filled with the same spirit, to be enlivened by the same wind. That's why the word appeals to me anyhow. What happens between us when we come together to worship God is that the Holy Spirit swoops in and out among us, knitting us together through the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the breaths we breathe. It can happen with two people, and it can happen with 2,000 people. It can scare us or comfort us, confuse us or clarify things for us. But as far as I can tell, the Holy Spirit never bullies us. We are always free to choose whether or how we respond. But before the day of Pentecost was over, the church had grown from 120 to more than 3,000. Shy people had become bold, scared people had become gutsy, and lost people had found a sure sense of direction. Disciples who had not believed themselves capable of tying their own sandals without Jesus discovered abilities within themselves they never knew they had. That's certainly how I feel at times. Not even capable of tying my own shoes. Not sure I'm going to make it through the day. I know many of you do as well. And yet somehow God's spirit enlivens me to do things I know I'm not capable of doing by myself. And it connects me with others who knows God's spirit how has God's Spirit moved in you? Many of you know that I'm a foster parent, so sometimes it feels like I'm only sustained by the Holy Spirit. Embracing a three-year-half-year-old is easy. It's not easy. But not knowing what the future holds is incredibly difficult. And so I have to trust that God has something good in mind for Grayson. And that is what compels me forward, knowing that God's Spirit will sustain me, even not knowing what the future holds. How has the Spirit enlivened you? Where is the Holy One pushing, nudging you forward right now? How is it moving in our own congregation? And how are we going to embrace it for the future ahead? For the Spirit compels us. It even pushes us out of the safety that we know and trust into a broken world that is so desperate, not for safety, but the willingness to stand in that brokenness and declare a new way forward. Walter Brueggemann writes, Pentecost is the moment when gestation ceases and birthing occurs. Thus it is both an end and a beginning, the leaving behind of that which is in the past and the launching forth into that which is now a new beginning to be. Pentecost is therefore not a time of completion. It is moving forward into a new dimension of being whose basic forms are clear, but whose fulfillment has yet to be realized. Pentecost is the beginning of our work we are invited to become co-conspirators with God, to embrace that resurrection life and offer it to those who still feel stuck behind closed doors. 
And so this invitation to participate in God's life forces us to look outside, to notice, to hear, and to name those hard truths that not all of God's people experience God's peace, God's justice, and God's liberation yet. To participate in God's spirit life is to open our eyes to the realities around us and step into that brokenness and proclaim that the good news is transformational. It will offer us new life. And so what are we to do? What bubbles have we created, those safe and secure places where we only gather with those that are like us? Where are those places that we need to break open? Where are the streets that we need to go into as the disciples did, meeting people where they are in their brokenness? It's not easy, it's scary, it's painful, but it's a reminder that we are called together into this life of community, that the Spirit is for all people, even those we have nothing in common with, even those we call enemy. When we open ourselves to those we don't know, those we fear, trusting the Spirit is present, we risk creating something that has never been created before. From the ashes of our fear, new life grows. So that is the risk the disciples took. They left behind everything they knew in order to take God's good news to the world and plant the seeds of the gospel in the ashes of chaos, danger, and even death. They knew they would not see the fruits of their work, but they did it anyway. The Spirit began the church with them, and it continues with us. Yet we know it's risky business being the church, especially in this day and age. God's Spirit is not safe or comfortable. God's Spirit will compel us to do things in life where there are only dust and dry bones. But if we are to continue the disciples' legacy today, we travel not alone, but with that spirit that enlivens us as it did them, trusting that God's kingdom is breaking in and through us and around us. Methodist pastor Jan Richardson writes this, Pentecost arrives to remind us that ashes do not have to be the final word. And that fire does not only come to consume, it also comes to bless, to call, to inspire, to give to us what we could never begin to imagine on our own. Friends, what is God's spirit enlivening in us today? What imagination shall we push forward together at First Presbyterian Church? Let us figure it out together. Amen.